Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Why, hello. Hi, welcome to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. I'm your host, Amanda G. Thank you all so much for being here with us. What's been going on with me since we last talked? Oh yeah, big news at the office. I work a nine to five. I sit in a chair all fucking day. It's terrible. Just got myself a standing desk. It has changed the game and it made my coworkers jealous for a whole 20 minutes. I was trying to put it together. Nobody wanted to help because they were like, fuck you for getting that standing desk. And I get it because I would have been the same way. But this thing, it's really cool. I don't know why. Like it just changes what you think of an office. I've been at this job for almost 11 years now and I've sat the entire time and now standing whole new experience. Who knew? Probably some scientists out there. I don't fucking know. Traveled a little bit since we last talked. I, I did a show in Little Rock, Arkansas, which was actually, it was really cool. I'd never been to Little Rock before. Everyone was super sweet. Had a lot of fun. It was a coffee shop that also served wine and beer, so that was cool with me. And uh, they had a bomb-ass grilled cheese, and I love some grilled fucking cheese. It was great. And then I did another show in Mandeville, Louisiana, and... I decided, you know, I was like, I'm just going to do all my gay shit. I'm going to do all my lesbian stuff. And after the show, there was these three uh, younger kind of bro-y guys that came up to me. And one of them was like, man, I really liked your stuff. I think you covered everything that I need to know about lesbians in your set. And I was like, oh, honey, if you think that my 10-minute set covered everything about lesbians, you have a lot to learn. But also thank you for listening to that 10 minutes because maybe you did learn something from that. I'm really excited for this episode to bring you. Uh, this is somebody who's done the Greetings from Queer Mountain storytelling show in New Orleans. She's done drag all over the place. She's putting on a one-woman show, which she'll tell you more about. She has an Indiegogo that she just started for doing drag herstory tours in the French Quarter in New Orleans, which I'm really excited about. She's just out there in the world just doing her thing, just putting her art out there. And it's really cool. And I and I thank her for talking with me. It was Quinn LaRue. That's who we interviewed. Quinn and I, we hang out in real life, you know, outside of the podcast. In fact, the other night we uh, sang karaoke together, sang a little One Direction. That's what makes you beautiful. I know in the last episode with Tina Cacadellis, I mentioned how much I fucking love that song. And maybe y'all didn't believe me, but... Quinn knows now. <laughs> Quinn got dragged up on stage with me, and uh, at least Quinn kept the melody going, because I know that song, but singing is not my thing. Anyway, you don't have to hear me sing. You just get to hear me talk to Quinn, so let's get to it. Here's Quinn LaRue, everybody. Quinn LaRue, hey, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm good. I'm excited. Quinn and I have already bonded. Quinn has three cats. I also have three cats. It's a rarity that people are, okay, you have three cats and you're not a crazy cat lady, because you can have three cats. It's perfectly normal. The real truth is that none of these cats are mine. I um, have a roommate and they have, she has three cats. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but you love them all. 
Oh, sort of. I let them in my room last <laughs> night and they just went into the sewing supplies and just started like unspooling a bunch of the threads. When I woke up this morning with like a, them like launching a cup across the nightstand at me with their paws. So it was fun. That sounds like cat heaven. Oh yeah. <laughs> just things to <laughs> knock over, things to unroll. But Yeah. The other day I came downstairs and a paper towel roll had been strewn all across the kitchen floor with just claw marks all over it. What are they going to do with that? They didn't do anything with it. Just kind of spread it out. I'm like, at least make it into like a water slide of some sorts or like be creative. No, I'm just going to leave it for you. It's my art project. And it's like Jackson Pollock, but it's a cat. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen you do drag before. Like before I actually met you, I've seen a lot of your performances. I've seen Extra, which is your political drag show that we'll, yeah, yeah. we'll talk about. Um, but you've done Queer Greetings from Queer Mountain, our storytelling show a couple of times. Yes. And you have a one-woman show coming. You do a lot of different performances, but like, mm -hmm. where are you? Like, where are you from? How'd you get your start? Where? Uh, so I'm originally from Kingsport, Tennessee, which is the Appalachian part of Tennessee. Uh, I moved all over with my family. That's where I'm originally from. I moved here three years ago, four years ago, almost. That's kind of a long story, but um, we have time. We have a lot of time. We can go into it later. But I was doing some other stuff that I wasn't didn't I didn't really get to use my artistic brain at all. And I took the New Orleans drag workshop, and it kind of allowed me to uh, I guess put some work out there really quickly. I think like I think about like the the book by Anne Lamont, like shitty first drafts. Like mm -hmm. she talks about like you have to put out some like really bad work. And I think drag really let me put out some like really shitty things really early on. And then I was able to just start making really good stuff and start getting back into writing. And then now I'm like producing a one woman show that's going to be really cool. So that's kind of how I got my start. I did theater when I was in church too, when I was little, but I played like a little bratty complainer kid. My mom was like, you'd be perfect. <laughs> She's like, you don't even have to try out. Everyone in this church knows that this is just, this role was written for you. What's church theater like though? Is it I Church theater? Oh, so basically they have like these little musicals and... It's not all Jesus Christ superstar. I'm all, Jewish, all so Jesus. I'm genuinely asking. It's all Jesus Christ kind of stuff. And they're just like, hey, um, my parents got divorced. Um... Do you love Jesus? It's like, no, I've never met him before. Tell me more about him. Is he cool? <laughs> That's kind of what it's all like. And he is cool, right? He's very cool. <laughs> he like hangs out. He goes get smoothies like we do. What religion were you raised in? I was raised Southern Baptist. My family kind of, we did a couple of different churches, but it was always like the big, like the giant churches that you see that look like I mean, they have, like, gymnasiums in there and everything. Yeah. You can, like, run around. Like, they always had basketball leagues in the church. It was always the really big ones. So it was, like, everything in your life was, like, around the church. Like, everyone you knew. I think it's kind of like that for my family. My, um, we, I was, like, my brother and I were always a little distant from everybody else there. And I think we were, we were kind of separate, but we would go to church. But we would also come up with these, like, we would try to do church at home sometimes. <laughs> So like as producing as a young child, <laughs> when we didn't want to go to church, we'd say we do like church at home and we put on these little like horrible plays about like Daniel and the lion's dead. You probably know that one. We do that. The stuffed animals and the dogs. Of course. Just <laughs> make little plays. When you say you grew up all over, mm -hmm. was that all over the Tennessee area or different mm -hmm. states or? So my, uh, was in Kingsport, uh, my parents got divorced when I was uh, pretty young. Uh, my mom got remarried, but she was. She worked in banking for a long time, so she got a few different jobs. So we moved to Nashville area, then to Chattanooga, then to Memphis. Then we moved back to Nashville, 
then I moved to Knoxville, then they moved to Knoxville. So we just kind of moved all the time. Um, a lot of it was just getting better in different jobs. Like my mom was the breadwinner and everything. In 2008, she lost her job and we that's when we moved to Nashville. So it's kind of like going all over. That was like the market. Yeah, that's when the market went down. That's but. right, when I graduated school. So I was like, great. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, good time to do this. Be like the one with no experience out there while people with experience are, yeah, it was... Weird time. You can always accept less. <laughs> <laughs> I work in a nonprofit. I absolutely did. Where did you go to college? I went to the University of Tennessee. So I was the a... Vol- is that the volunteers? The volunteers. I got it right. It's like such a stupid name <laughs> for something. It was because they sent the most people to like fight in the Spanish-American War. Yeah, I just learned I was in Indianapolis and I learned a Hoosier is just a person from Indianapolis or from Indiana. That's just what a Hoosier is. I was like, really? I thought it would be something cooler than that. So I'm like, your team mascot is yourself. So yours is kind of also yourself. I see. I feel like that's more deep. Like, <laughs> <laughs> at least we're not like the Chiefs or something. I yeah. Well, it's not racist. <laughs> yeah. So it's not racist. And I think that's a pretty good standard for a team name. I think she could be like a bear, a timber wolf or something. A bobcat or yeah, something. Yeah. Bobcats would be cool. I'd see, I can see or that. A tiger. Like you could be anything. And you're like, nah, we're good. Sorry, there's just a cat just ran into the room. It could be the cat. I am a cat whisperer, so they'll probably just come to me at some point. They never even named this one. It's Aww. just Baby Kitten. That's like in Breakfast at Tiffany's. And she's like, I can't, I don't have the right to name this cat. I've never actually seen that. I've seen like so few movies. Really? If you like cats, Breakfast at Tiffany's has a great cat. It's this orange cat and she calls him Cat because she's like, I don't have the right to give him a name. Like, who am I to give this cat a name? We don't even know if this is our home. So when we find a home, I'll give the cat a name. And then there's a really sappy scene at the end that involves a cat, which I won't spoil for you. Well, I like Audrey Hepburn already. And, you know, for drag and fashion and stuff, I'm sure you've, you know, at least seen photos of it. Yeah, I have seen. <laughs> I used to have a Audrey Hepburn poster that I had up in my room, but I never... But you didn't see the movie. <laughs> no connection to this woman. <laughs> she was just pretty, I guess, but... yeah. Tennessee, finished school there? Finished school there, what was, your, what was your major? I started out in theater, then I was linguistics. I tried <laughs> to learn five languages at once, and then... Which languages? Spanish, <laughs> French, definitely. I took Russian classes. I took Chinese. The only Chinese phrase I know is, do you think playing ball is interesting? That's the only <laughs> one I remember. <laughs> so I could like talk to a child about sports in China <laughs> if I wanted to. Yeah, and then they just say yes or no, and that's the... Right. You're like, no, I... That was it. That's all I got. Right. I got involved in a lot of workers' rights organizing stuff while I was up there. I got to do a lot of really cool things, and we, I started really getting into campaigning there. And so I picked a major that I could just do that without really thinking about school. I would take classes. It was global studies. So I took like a Bollywood class. I took like basic sociology stuff. Just took everything. And it was really nice. What did you want to do? You just wanted to be an organizer? Was that mm-hmm. your... Yeah, I wanted to be an organizer. After school, I um, moved down here, like looking to do some things with that. Uh, it's a long story. Probably won't go into it. But basically, I was uh, started something. I quit about, quit like last year, almost a year ago, that I was doing that stuff. And here I am just performing, working at a horrible, well, it's not horrible. I kind of like my job. But <laughs> <laughs> What do you do now? Well, lots of drag. And then I work at a um, bakery, which I won't say the name, but it's kind of nice. You get to like, I mostly eat crumbs, but it's kind of like, I described it the other day as like I'm running through a corn maze, but the corn's made out of white people and they're like, toddlers are jumping out at every corner and just attacking you. 
I've almost killed like four toddlers every day I work <laughs> there because they're just rolling around. They probably walked in front of you, so mm-hmm. it's kind of their fault, right? I mean, I'm carrying hot <laughs> beverages. I can't look down, so. <laughs> their parents should be should be keeping an eye on them. But it's always our fault, the non-breeders. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow it's our fault. I'm like, no, your kid was running around and there's clearly lots of people with hot beverages. Yeah. I mean, that's uptown. I thought they had leashes. <laughs> They feel safe in the bakery. Let them go. <laughs> I like those. There's a couple coffee shops in Uptown that have that sign that's like, if your child's unattended, we're going to give them an espresso and a puppy. Mm. And I'm like, look, they told you. Yeah. So if I see an unattended child, I'll personally pay for that espresso. We uh, we always joke that it's we're on an episode of What Would You Do? <laughs> <laughs> this child is screaming. What would you Boiling do? Boiling point. <laughs> I know you did the drag workshop. Can you describe mm. that a little bit? Yeah. So the drag workshops, uh, it's been around for, they call it cycles, but that's basically like the classes. It's a 10-week course focused on drag and everything you learn about like a little bit about makeup and like costuming and stuff but I think it's more focused on performing and it's more it's all it's more focused on like creating like a good character and everything like that so I think it's really valuable more recently they've been able to incorporate better like makeup and things like that it's grown as a more comprehensive education I would say you can tell by the you should see the first faces that I put on it was just like like a blue circle around my eyes like, <laughs> that went good. a little too high. I was like, this is, this is fine. <laughs> no, I remember because my girlfriend took the last cycle, cycle eight, and they no one's allowed to release any photos or anything. You guys are working so hard. It was like that was the 10 weeks of her life was pretty much like the number one yeah. thing she was doing. And then you're working on all these looks and these costumes and you're figuring out what your drag name is and what your drag persona is. And then you're not allowed to put any of it on social media. But then the minute the class was over, like all my social media was like every look that everybody had done. Yeah. But it was kind of cool to see like that 10 weeks of time just like put together on a nice Instagram feed for myself. Yeah, it's really, it's a really great experience. I think if anybody wants to do it, it's really awesome. It's really collaborative. You get to meet so many people and like my cycle, so many people are still performing. Y'all are still friends. We're all still friends. Yeah. I've been able to like meet people who came after me and I'm friends with everyone who came after in the cycles few rare exceptions of people I just never really got to bond with but it's really built a really cool community in New Orleans of drag performers and I think it feels like a family rather than just a bunch of people fighting for the five or six gigs (laughs) in every city I think there's sisterhood everywhere but I think here it's more concrete and I think we have a better bond than most drag scenes yeah, I've been I've been learning mm-hmm. about the drag scene just by now kind of being on the peripherals of it, peripheries, peripheral, whatever. And I'm learning about it, and it's like the stand-up community here where, you know, when I go other places, I feel like sometimes it's really hard to get a gig um, doing stand-up because they're like, we don't know you, we ha- already have our own comedians. But here I feel like, you know, when someone comes to town to do stand-up, like, we're, we're always like, here's all the shows, here's, we'll put you up here, we'll do this. And I feel like with drag too, like, y'all... You know, obviously everyone wants to do a bunch of shows, but you realize there's enough shows to spread the love. Right. And you're not, like, trying to be cutthroat about it. That's why, like, when people hear, like, with the drag, like, 10-week intense workshop, that maybe they're like, oh, man, they're going to get voted out. And it's like, nobody's going to get voted out. Everyone, we want everyone to do well. I think, wait, especially because of Drag Race and a few other things, like, people only think of drag as this competitive kind of thing, which I really think it's not. Like, I think, like... The more I've done it, especially coming from an organizing background, even if you're doing something really stupid, it's like one of the only opportunities you get to just have a bunch of people listen to you, even though you're doing it through someone else's voice. 
So you can do whatever you want and everyone kind of pays attention for a little bit. And I think it's actually just a really great way to express yourself. And I enjoy everybody. No, that's not true. (laughs) I enjoy that there's the opportunity for everyone to do it. But I think sometimes people are like, there's too much drag going on. I would say that's almost like saying there's too much music or there's too much comedy. Like not all of it's going to be good, but like they can still do it, you know? The audience will decide when there's too much because you won't have an audience. It's that that simple. Drag's similar to comedy where like you really Mm -hmm. need an audience. Yeah. To make it work. Like, yeah, you could do a show with a smaller... Like, music, you know, you can play music, people can float in and out. It doesn't work that way with drag. It doesn't work that way with comedy. So Quinn LaRue's your, your drag name. How did that name, and tell me about the persona a little bit, and how that kind of came about. Did you have other ideas? Were there other things? Or just naturally, you were like, this is who I am. So I had uh, one name the whole time. I came in, my grandfather's name is Quentin LaRue. And so I joked about it. It was going to be my grandmother's name combined with his. It's going to be Pearl LaRue. But I thought Pearl was a little dumb. Um, But I kind of wanted a name that was um, just able to be whatever I wanted it to be. Instead of, I think a lot of drag personas or performers start out with a really like pun-based name or something like that, which I think is hilarious and awesome. But I knew it wasn't really for me. I, I kind of knew that I was going to want to grow in the character. And so I didn't want it to have anything attached to it before. And now when people say Quinn LaRue, that has like a whole thing behind it. But it's because I built that instead of just like, oh, that makes me think of this character. Quinn started as like a kind of making fun of... I was always really inspired by like Reductress and The Onion. And I think all of my drag is like very much in that like ironic kind of like satirical kind of space, even when it's a little more serious. It started, she started out as this like teenager, which I still go back to sometimes. <laughs> There's like a more specific voice. I think that part of the character just comes in and out. And I have like more characters that I do now, especially through improv that I've been getting into. One of the things that I was really excited about when you did uh, our storytelling show, because I think drag is one way to tell a story. And I think it's like such a beautiful way. And a mm-hmm. lot of your acts do a really good job of that. But, you know, you don't always get to, to speak, to mm-hmm. use your words to, to share your truth. And so I thought you doing Queer Mountain would be a really good op. I, I could just envision exactly what happened on stage. It was amazing. And I was like, this is what I wanted. And it's perfect. Was that your first time performing in that kind of capacity on stage? And what, what was that like for you? I mean, I've done several like public speaking things that I would compare as far as like, I kind of know how to work building like tension and everything like that. My first time performing that I was... I didn't really know what to expect as far as it going in there. And I did it in drag, but I did a story about like being sexually assaulted and being hit by a car and what it meant for my body and also about teaching. It was the whole kind of thing for me about building up strength in yourself and also about making pads. <laughs> so, um, but I wanted to do something that was funny, but I also wanted it to be real and just to kind of like break through since it is a storytelling thing and not a straight up comedy thing. And it felt really good to do that because I'd always kind of known I was good at writing and good at public speaking, but I was just like, oh no, maybe it's just me and I'm making Mm -hmm. it up. And it was really nice because I felt like everyone, the response was amazing after I did that show. It felt really good to kind of mix it up. And now I've incorporated that storytelling stuff into my monthly show. Like I almost am always doing storytelling. Like it's very much in the similar vein to what my one woman show is going to be like 
It's like very funny, but very real and speaking the truth. And sometimes people relate a lot, just what I've learned. One of the things that was really great, like you said, you combined, you know, you were talking about some very serious, terrible things that happened in your life. And then you were able to weave in comedic aspects of it and weave it back into like drag and who you are. You really did a good job of navigating all of that and also like getting these important things out there because it's like, hey, yeah, some things that happen are fucked up, but we should talk about them. Yeah. We should br- bring them to light and make sure they don't happen to other people or don't happen again or people are held accountable. Like, it's really great to be able to do that. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate that. Big self-help book reader. But I sat down and was like, what do you want to do with your life? Like, what do you want this to be like? And I think for me, like the one that I wrote down was, I want to live my life in a way so that other people don't have to deal with the same kind of things I've had to deal with. And that's kind of how I've tried to live my life is just trying to build a world that people don't have to like make art about being like sad all the time. (laughs) It can make art about being happy and and joyful and everything like that. So what are your favorite self-help books? Self-help books? Oh, there's so many. What are the ones ones that like changed your life? Uh, The Secret. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I've never actually read The Secret. I don't know if you have to read a whole book. The Secret is you just put it out there. Like I'm going to win the lottery and then that's going to happen. Like do you need a whole book to explain that concept to you? Apparently. (laughs) It's a bestseller. I know my ex was like really into it. She showed me some like secret video and the video is like 30 seconds in. I'm like, I got it. I got it. Just positive thoughts lead to positive things. Done. But you can't control the lottery. I super loved uh, Gretchen Rubin's The Happiness Project. It's a very, it's a very popular one, but she basically like, she makes this like chart and she like judges everything she does in her life (laughs) over the course of a year. And she like slowly builds on it. And I've tried to do that so many times. But I always kind of fall off. <laughs> so, you like judge yourself? Yeah. So you you set something like, oh, I want to sleep more. And then you have a little chart and you check off if you slept enough that night. And then you just feel worse. <laughs> uh, I know. I was like, what, what happens if you don't? <laughs> shame. <laughs> <laughs> just self-shame. Maybe that. But it's like a whole group accountability thing. I don't, maybe that would help. Yeah. But I like that one a lot. And everything she's written, I kind of am super into. There's this book called The Curated Closet that tells you how to dress more. But I think that one really changed me because it was just like, why are you wearing this? <laughs> like made you ask that question. And I was yeah. like, that's deep. <laughs> <laughs> like it's comfortable and it was cheap. That's my two requirements for all clothes. Well, I think one of the questions that had on there was, do you have clothes that you don't think you deserve to wear? And I was just like, Damn. I do. Because <laughs> <laughs> I want to cut really deep, but... I'm a big fan of self-help books. I feel like my ego and pride does not allow me Mm. to like go to self-help books because I'm like, I don't need that book. Like I'll do it myself. But then when I hear people talk about different books and different pieces of them that come out of it, I'm like, oh yeah, I probably needed that too. I think some of them are a little bit bullshit. It's an industry that like money is there, but there's also people who like study this stuff their whole life to help other people. Like there's genuine people out there and there's the like people that are like, I can make a quick buck doing a self-help webinar or series or book or movie or whatever. I mean, I think it's a good sign that there's so many people who want to improve themselves. But personally, I know from reading so many that I just kind of feel bad when I don't do those things too. (laughs) And then I'm just like, I need a book about how to like live by these books. And then (laughs) just keeps adding on to like the things I'm not doing, I guess. But How old were you when you started reading self-help books? I think the first time I started reading them obsessively was when I was about 17. That's the time they get you. Yeah, it's the perfect time. Chicken soup, chicken soup. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, see I couldn't get on board with those. I know they're like, I've read some of them, they're like sappy and cute, but some of them just made me sad. 
I mean, I think they're all, like, all self-help books are written to be really enjoyable, so they're also just fun to read. And I felt like I was like, oh, I'm reading again, because, I mean, once Harry Potter's done, <laughs> like, they didn't tell you you have to find other books after that, and that a lot of them are bad. That was, like, not <laughs> as good. Like, they tried to make Twilight, like, the next Harry was, Potter, and no. I always tell people with Twilight, because um, I bought the first one, and I couldn't read it at all. It was just so poorly written. Literally pick any page, just 54, open it up, there's some sort of grammatical or spelling error. Did nobody edit this? It was just some lady writing fan fiction or whatever, and then a book happened, and then another book. And I was like, how is this? It's just a spiral out of control. I really like that one line, uh, the passage in there, that's basically just the thesaurus entry for sparkling. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> scintillating. It was just like, but it's Edward, so. Could not get on board with that. I'm like, just watch Interview with the Vampire. That's, you're going to learn everything you need to know. Go back to Anne Rice. Mm-hmm. Those books are more complicated than Twilight, but you're going to get your vampire fix for sure. Or Buffy, just watch Buffy. Buffy, yeah. I like it. The vampires just disappear. Oh, There's a new Buffy, though, right? I think there is, yeah. I don't know if I'll watch it. I have too much attachment to the old one. I don't know. Well, so you started Extra, which is a political mm-hmm. drag show. What gave you the idea, and were you worried about that not like that being too much? I was never worried about it being too much. I wasn't a very experienced producer when I started it. So there was like two main reasons that I did it. The first one is that I was quitting like a major political project that I was working on and I knew I was going to focus more on drag and I was like, I don't want to lose the like organizer part of me that does this kind of stuff. And secondly, I just wasn't performing very much. I think because the way that the scene was at the time, there wasn't as like as much of a place for me in it. So I was just like, well, if I want to perform like weird political numbers, then I need a space to do it. And so why don't I just make a space? And then I just reserved the Always Lounge, put out the event. I actually got an article in The Gambit when I first did it. They were just like, political drag show? This is great. <laughs> I just remember going to a show and this one queen was just like, drag queen shouldn't talk about politics, which I super disagreed with. I think as like a trans feminine person, drag is one of the only places where people listen to us uh, consistently. And I think doing a show like that, like I get to talk about all kinds of stuff and people just listen. And it's also... You get to, people can go to at any angle. There's been so many really cool numbers that have come out of that. And I see those numbers going into other shows. It's just been really nice to be a part of it. I'm doing it for this long. I'm taking a one month break from doing it because I. it's really hard to come up with two political numbers. And you got your one woman show coming up. Yeah, so I decided to do that instead. I was at your last show and there was a group of people, and we're going to talk about your hecklers. Oh, <laughs> there was yeah. a group of people in the front and I don't know why they didn't realize they were apparently Trump supporters who showed mm-hmm. up to this political drag show and then were upset by the content of the political drag show. But one of them was so fucked up, that lady, that after your first number, the opening number, she got on stage and you Judah. handled her <laughs> very well. <laughs> Yeah, what did I say? I was like, hey, hey, what's your name? Yeah, you were so nice. Hey, sweetie, what's your name? And whatever. And then she says her name and then you're like, okay, get off the stage. (laughs) Like you just did a 180 on her and her drunk brain couldn't comprehend that. But she still stayed on stage. I think she was like, she got like a kid when you like climb a fence or like a cat like climbs a tree and then they're like, I can't get down from here. Like, I feel like she got up on stage and then was like, I don't even know how to get down. Like she just was her drunk mind couldn't wrap her brain around that. Right. I mean, I was, it's like a hard thing. I've definitely not handled some hecklers well, but I think you have to figure it out. But with her, it was just, I mean, I didn't know about the whole Trump supporter thing. <laughs> People have walked out of the show before, but it's always just like, I mean, what do you expect? Like, you just, like, what do you want us to do? Just not express ourselves? 
And I don't like to make the show like super anti-Trump or anything it like that. It wasn't. That's the whole thing. Like nobody yeah. said anything about Trump the entire time. I mean, they didn't yeah. stay the whole time, but like they, I don't know what they thought when they walked in where it's like the, something happened and they're like, we're Trump supporters. We can't be here. And I'm like, why do we, why are you announcing this and what in this show? Because it wasn't. I don't know. I mean, I was talking about like the blue wave. I was making jokes about like it's a tiny little blue wave that didn't knock, oh. knock over the sand castle. But <laughs> I think like people want to like just come watch a show like that. And I don't like to be aggressive with people. Like there are people in my family who like have, I don't, wouldn't describe anyone in my family that I still talk to as like an outspoken Trump supporter, but they have beliefs that are um, complicated. Yeah. And I'd rather talk to them about those like one-on-one, but if I'm in drag, like this is my, like, this is like the three or four minutes when I'm on stage performing that I really feel great. Like sometimes in a week, and that's not like sounds sad, but it's not when I feel like I'm doing something excellent because I know I'm doing something really well. People are loving it. I get to have that space and I get to do whatever I want with it uh, because people want to see it. And if you don't want to, then that's fine. You can leave. Yeah. I mean, I think that's interesting. Like that's what I always talk about with like people who have different political views we should try to have a conversation Mm -hmm. i feel like drag tries to do that i just thought you did a really good job handling the heckler Mm -hmm. have you had some other heckling experiences that didn't you want to share that didn't go so well or kind of bad but there was a bunch of australians at this i was hosting at oz one time i was making a bunch of jokes on bourbon street (laughs) i was just making a bunch of jokes about the australians this one guy like wouldn't stop like bothering me and everything and then he was just like he like kept saying stuff. I was like, why don't you like hop on a plane back to Australia? And they were like, that's fucked up. And I was like, it's not fucked up to tell you to go home. <laughs> but they acted like I was like trying to kick them out. And I was like, no. Like, just be cool. Like, just, I don't know. If you're nicer to people, like then the audience is typically more on your side. Like I think it has to be like kind of a group decision that the person has to go. So like with Judith, I mean, no one wanted her on stage. <laughs> and I knew that. So yeah. it was just like. Hey, what's going on? Um, just, just please leave. Just get off the stage, and then yeah. So apparently, um, it was she was with her her parents, I think, and her husband, and they all left. And then her husband had to come back and physically get her because she was gonna stay, and she was super wasted. And they were like, "No, you have to leave now." Like even her group was like, "You need to be removed." Right. RuPaul's Drag Race is a mm-hmm. lot of people's kind of exposure to drag. You know, not everybody, but I feel like there's a lot of people that are like, I never saw drag until this show. So that's kind of like their, what they used to like kind of judge drag by. And on that show, you have to be cis male who performs. You can't be a, a woman, a bio queen, you can't be uh, anyone who's trans. A lot of people have had problems with that. Do you have an opinion on that? Definitely. I think, um, I think like just not think too much about what Rue says about the show. I mean, I think Rue's getting a little old. And I think that's okay. And I think, like, he sa- like he says, like, oh, we don't want trans performers, like, on the show and everything. But there's been plenty of trans performers that I know on this next season. Uh, is going to be on there. She's transitioned. And, I, like, Rue said that, which is more fucked up, that trans women are fine if they, like, haven't, like, finished yet is basically what she said. But Gia's, like, finished, I guess. <laughs> They're just really fucked up. And it's going to be on the show, but... Okay, so the new season, they are opening that? Um, I, like, I don't think it's an official opening kind of thing. And I think, like, it's, I mean, it's it's Rue's show, if that's what Rue wants to do. The show only stands to lose by not including certain performers. There's so many amazing, like, hyper bio queens. 
especially in New Orleans, some really amazing ones. You're dating one of them. <laughs> Definitely trans performers have a lot to bring to the table, but also I think it's kind of like a very specific table. And if that's what she's serving, I guess, <laughs> if you want to eat it. <laughs> I think it's interesting. And I, I get it too. Like, I'm not trying to, I, I love RuPaul so much. There's this really bad Hallmark or Lifetime movie called The Truth About Jane, where it's about a girl who finds out, like, or realizes, not finds out, but kind of, like, realizes she's a lesbian. It's, like, Stockhart Channing's in it, and RuPaul plays Stockhart Channing, Rizzo from Greece, mm-hmm. her best friend in it. That's something that always, like, captured my heart. You know, like, Ru- RuPaul's done so many great things, and I feel like at the time that RuPaul was doing that, RuPaul was the only one doing those things, right. you know? RuPaul was the only one in drag out there in the mainstream public. RuPaul was the only one pay- playing the gay best friend. I feel like there's been so much for RuPaul to get to the place where like RuPaul has a successful drag race show which is very successful and it's way more mainstream than it was when it first started. One thing I have an issue with that we as a society do especially in social justice circles is just like excommunicating people when they do one thing we don't like and I don't think we shouldn't hold people accountable but I think I hate the phrase of just like this person is trash like this person is awful like I'm not fucking with RuPaul anymore. Mm -hmm. It's a big deal when she says things like this because I think it has effects on the way that people see uh, trans performers like myself. But I think she's done great things. We don't have to discount that. Like, it's okay that she's a complicated person. And how do you feel in the New Orleans scene? Do you run into any any issues with not really i mean i think there's there's been a lot of drama <laughs> about it, all this different stuff i think in this scene in specific it's just really welcoming especially in the bywater area and even a lot of the queens who don't really work in the same scene i've had only great experiences with them and i mean my performance style is very different from what a lot of people are doing especially when i go serious <laughs> but i've had great responses from everyone even if it's not really their cup of tea. It's just there's a lot of space here for people. And I wish that was what everyone was seeing. If that's not through Drag Race, it's through other things too. I want there to be spaces where queer performers of all kinds can like shine. And maybe if RuPaul's not the space for that, then that's okay. I think there's a lot more spaces, you know, that are being created and cultivated. And I think that's great. Do you have a one-woman show coming up? Mm -hmm. Um, Can you tell us what it's called? It started, the name I got, we were going to do a like Cancer the like Zodiac sign uh, show and we were going to call it It's Fine. <laughs> <laughs> I needed um, you to say that because the way you say it is way better than the way I would say yeah, it. Yeah, just It's Fine. It's um, Fine. Did I get it? It's Fine. I got to yeah. do a little shoulder pop. It's Fine. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I wanted to do the sh- I wanted to do a one woman show for a while. Ever since I started I wanted to do something more theatrical something like more interesting than my normal drag. I wanted to do a show that talks about like my personal issues in a way that's funny relatable and interesting and uh, incorporate numbers and I wanted to do it in like a longer form setting so the actual show is going to be um it's three main parts the first one is called hey uh it's your dad it's about growing up and trying to navigate family relationships and like being in and out with different parts of my family and then I have a Cajun erotica that I wrote uh, (laughs) as kind of like a buffer between two semi-serious pieces I guess is the right word and the last one's called it's fine it's where I'm basically writing like short letters to everyone I've ever like dated real or imaginary it starts with Simba my first crush from the Lion King and it ends with the person I'll eventually end up with but it's just kind of like about 
things that I wouldn't normally say, So, but I'm saying them on stage. And of course, there's going to be drag. I'm bringing back some of favorite numbers from what I've done before and a couple new ones. And it's only five dollars. So December seventeenth. It's gonna be great. Yeah. It is. You're putting everything out there. Like you're putting your whole life out there. You're putting the good, the bad. Mm-hmm. And it's just you, you know? Like yeah. You're you're doing this for yourself and you believe in, in the work so much. Like I think that's really great. And I'll definitely be in that audience watching it. What do you see for your your life goal? Like what you're you're performing, you have your own show, you're doing your own one woman show. What do you want? Like if you could uh, some Hollywood producer came to you right now and was like what do you want to do? You want a show? You want a movie? You want to just perform all over the country? You want to document? Like, what do you, you want to write? What do you want to do? I don't necessarily want to become like a famous artist, but I want to be a not starving artist. <laughs> like an artist who like doesn't have student loans and can like go to Trader Joe's and just buy a cart full and not even think about it. Like that's the level of success I want as an artist. I really enjoy performing. I think it's always going to be something I do. I think one of my New Year's resolutions is to perform like a little bit less, but to perform better and perform more and more effective spaces and perform in ways that I want to. And I definitely want to write more, especially like this more like memoir kind of stuff that I'm getting into. Yesterday, I like went to Petco and I like wrote a poem. Like I'm become like very much like a a writer who actually writes and doesn't just like talk about writing. (laughs) (laughs) And just like set a copy of like an Ernest Hemingway book on my desk and just sit there and type things. Like that's what I imagine. Get a typewriter. When someone says writer, I just imagine some like asshole (laughs) (laughs) like hangs out at coffee shops and doesn't write shit. And that's all. So, but now I'm actually just writing a lot and putting everything out there. And I think I'm on the right track, but my next goal is just to not work in a restaurant anymore. (laughs) If I'm not doing that, then my dreams have come true. I think that's so interesting. I've asked that question to quite a few people and not everyone, but like a lot of people have that answer of, I just don't want to be a starving artist, but on the same note, I don't want to be so famous. I can't walk outside my house. I don't want that. Where it's interesting, like you want the spotlight, but not like that bright spotlight. I want to be like an indie darling, like (laughs) Mitski or something. (laughs) Just like if there was like a pitchfork of drag, like I want to be like best new song, not best new album, like a deep cut in there. Has your family, anyone in your family seen you perform? Yes. My mom and my stepdad have seen me perform. They came to the makeup improv and drag show. It's a drag show that's also improv. So we did that. They loved it, which I thought it was my, and my mom, I know she was going to be supportive of me no matter what, but my stepdad was the kind of guy who kind of would like correct me about when I was doing really like, I guess, femme, like don't cross your legs like that. Like I remember I was playing in a water park jumping around in a way that I'm sure was just <laughs> completely embarrassing. I was just playing by myself at a water park. And they're like, can you not do that? But then when he watched me perform, he was like, you did such a good job. Like, I was really proud of you. You were so funny and really talented. And we went to a restaurant afterwards and they're like, how much money are you making? And they're, cause they're both financially minded. And they started talking me through like how I could support myself doing it which was really cool. They're both very supportive. My brother knows. My grandmother sort of knows, I think. But my dad just doesn't know, like, any of it. He doesn't know you perform at all? He does, I've never told him I'm gay. Wow. Yeah. You just don't think he'd respond well, or...? Well, I don't want to spoil the show. Okay. <laughs> all right. It's a whole thing, and I'm trying to, like, yeah, work we'll through it. for the show, no problem. Yeah. I always think it's interesting when parents or siblings or whatever see you perform for the first time, because I feel like even though... I feel like they're the people, whether you want to admit it or not, that know you in a way that nobody else can know you like my brother and I grew up in the same environment so we are bonded in that way 
whether we we like it or not we do we're totally cool but so to have them see this other side of you is i think it's really fascinating yeah and especially for your stepdad i had the opposite like i was there like you don't want to wear more dresses you don't want to my mom put me in um dance and ballet and tap and all and i was like i want to play soccer and softball like i want to climb with the boys i wanted to i didn't understand why like guys' clothes had more pockets and cool things, and I liked video... Like, I liked all the things that I was told constantly, like, you right. try these other things. And it was just, like, they didn't fit, so my mom kind of was like, all right, she likes these things, you know, and they my parents were supportive on that, but there was still definitely... Oh, pink is, like, my room. Yeah. Like, all my furniture had, like, pink around it. And then I think over time, they see, like, this is who this person is, mm -hmm. and that's really cool for your stepdad to maybe you know back in the day was like this is how boys should act and then was like this is who quinn is he gives me a lot of faith he's just such a good guy especially like with the way that my mom and my dad's relationship was really rough in a lot of ways and so for him to just be like this like loving like great guy he always says like well i don't really understand it but i'm not gonna like have any issues with it but he's like so supportive i mean i, I like i'm not i'm never gonna have the kind of relationship with him or, like, talk to him about, like, the boys that I'm, like, <laughs> seeing or talking to. Unless what I'm, should like, I do? Unless I'm marrying someone. <laughs> My mom and I'll talk about everything. She's just, like, just a lot of opinions. Is your brother older or younger? Older. He's three years older than me. And uh, he's totally cool? We had, like, a, I think we had, it was another very complicated relationship when I was growing up. But I think, like, slowly it became less and less. I think, like, when you're younger, like, you're just, like, it's just this war with your siblings. <laughs> I don't know if that's everyone's experience. But basically mine was just like, okay, I guess we have to fight now. <laughs> um, he just got married. I did a great little speech at his wedding and everything. I caught the garter. Oh, yeah. But I was like, there were like three people <laughs> like competing for the garter. And I like looked around and they were just like, I was like, I better catch this because it's going to be a <laughs> long time if I have to wait on one of these two. <laughs> That's even hard. I, I prefer when there's like 20 people versus mm -hmm. like three because I feel like it's just like, it's on. Like I yeah. see you. I've never caught. I was like. It's like that scene in the Sex in the City when they throw the garter and they all just walk away. I'm yeah, like, yeah, that's that's about right. <laughs> no, it's really cool to have a supportive family. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's see, I keep having questions and I keep forgetting. <laughs> yeah, well, I can just uh, talk about the thing I've been wanting yeah. to talk about. So I am, uh, as far as moving forward with my career, I uh, am a licensed tour guide, and I noticed there's a like a real demand and desire for a drag queen to walk downtown and give a tour. So I'm about to launch a Kickstarter that we can link that's just going to be to help me not work in a restaurant like sooner rather than later, and to just kind of like start promoting this. I'm going to do a walking tour downtown, a history of the city, and talk about all the cool women and queer people who made the city what it is now. So Super excited about that. It's going to be really fun. We don't just get to hear about the house Nicholas Cage owns. Oh, yeah. I think I've been on some shitty tours before, so I'm like, a, a drag queen tour sounds amazing. A queer history tour, because New Orleans has so much queer history. Mm -hmm. Like, people don't realize it, you know? Right. Because a lot of it gets written over. Yeah, there's so much. Like, I just... Learning in my little research about a guy named Jean Lamar in the 1940s uh, built a drag career. It was totally illegal. But they like would advertise it. They would have posters all over the city. And the police would read it once every two weeks. Be like, well, better stop this. <laughs> but they like would go to the shows too because it's like entertaining. And I think that's one thing that drag has always kind of like existed in that space. Where like cross-dressing was always seen as negative. But people just love drag queens. And I think there's some kind of power in that. Like, there's a reason that the Trump supporters wanted to go to a drag show. It, I don't necessarily get it, but I think, I don't know. There's a lot to unpack there. But 
Yeah, that's why I wanted to talk about it because I was like, this is so fascinating. I really wanted to like interview them almost like if I had my mind. Like, okay, so you saw this is extra political drag. Mm-hmm. You came into a place called the Always, A-L-L, Always, as in everybody, Always. And you sat in the front. They sat in the front. Mm-hmm. They picked the table closest to the stage. Right. And then they were like, this isn't for us. So I'm like, I'm just curious about, that's definitely a lot to unpack there. I think that a lot of people really like to see like someone being really glamorous and cool and like pretty. My mom even, like she was, I mean, she's always been more like of a business kind of like environment. So she had to be like business casual all the time, but she never got to like, she like wants to learn how to contour and everything. I got her a contour kit last Christmas and taught her how to do that. My grandfather was just like, one of the first people in my family that was super supportive of me when I came out was my grandmother who Mm. at the time was in her 80s and she was just like I don't care who Amanda loves in my family like I think there's it's with my grandmother especially is like she's such like a like a forward and like free thinker in a lot of ways that you wouldn't expect from someone who was a stay-at-home mom her whole life I remember when uh the year that Black Lives Matter was really big got in this huge fight with my dad on Facebook and she was like my whole family is like very invested in this drama like they're all very like it's like very Tennessee like they just love drama and they're just like sitting there like watching (laughs) and they have like a save good face but I remember we were talking at the table and they were like we were really respected that you spoke up and said all this stuff and then my stepdad was like trying to like push me on like my beliefs about it and my grandmother was just like well it's it's obvious that they have like what they're saying is like true that there's a real problem with the way that police work in this country. She was like, I grew up when and watched all these like riots happen and watched the way police treated people. And if they're saying it's not better, like we should believe them. But it was like not necessarily that eloquent. It was like <laughs> shady, like grandmother yeah. stuff. <laughs> and I'm sure afterwards she was just like, and I'm just glad that most of my children are here at this table. <laughs> not all. <laughs> I love grandmother shade. Thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. And we're going to post all of the promos for the Kickstarter and the one woman show and extra and whatever else you have coming up. We always try to, you know, support folks because hopefully they hear you and they're going to want to see you too. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I was really excited. But... Yeah. All right. Cool. Let's drink okay. some coffee and play with some cats. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Cheers, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Cheers to cats. <laughs> So this is a recording of a speech I gave at Miss Pageant Pageant, which is a pageant I participated in. And in many ways, the reaction to this speech and the way it made me feel inspired me to work on a one my one-woman show, It's Fine. And in many ways, everything in the show is kind of a reaction to the things that I said in the speech. So I'm going to go ahead and record that for you all now. A year ago, when I was considering putting my wig in the running for Miss Pageant Pageant, I told myself that I had to win that everything that had happened to me would be worth it for that one moment of glory. See, I'm a big fan of the Cinderella story. Jane Eyre finds love. Hagrid swoops in and saves Harry Potter. Susan Boyle overcomes being herself by being a surprisingly good singer or something. And I love these stories because they make it seem like all the suffering these people had is somehow worth it because they become grounded and truly appreciate the magic of their newfound life. A lot of people who are familiar with what I do are expecting me to say something along those lines today. A lot of people tell me, it's cool how you were like miserable and now you're happy. That makes me feel really good. I speak very openly about the abuse I received from an early age up to my very last abusive relationship, a man that I left one year ago nearly to this day. And I could tell the story about how I became free and grew my career so much farther than I ever thought I could. And I could kill it tonight and win a crown and say everything was worth it. It would be a great story, but it wouldn't be a true story. 
The fact is, I'm the girl who left now, but for years I was the girl who stayed. A good friend told me, you let these people do things to you, which is cruel, but it's part of the truth. When it happens over and over, you just get used to it. You think it's a part of what it means to be loved. Because of Cinderella's stories, I grew up understanding my abuse as a necessary state of being that would one day turn into a life I could never dream of, and it made it simply uh, easier to simply handle what was happening to me. I learned that I could handle it by shrinking myself, by following the rules, and by prioritizing other people's convenience over my comfort or even safety. And that's why I can't be inspirational today. I'm not here to tell you that dangerous kind of story. In this political climate, it is irresponsible to tell you that the damage was not deep and lasting. I was abused verbally, emotionally, physically, and sexually. I had my spirit crushed over and over. I was gaslit for the majority of my life, and I have trouble believing my own perception of reality. And if I win today, I know I won't feel any better about any of this. No amount of success will make it feel worth it. It wasn't worth it. And people often tell me how amazing it is that I took all this pain and turned it into beautiful art. But this is bullshit. Abuse is not the price I had to pay for my talent and my voice. My abusers do not get to live in the footnotes of my art. I was good before them, and I am good now. A year ago, I would have wanted this to be my Cinderella moment. The fact is that moment is never going to happen. My victory is something I have to do every day. It's the battle of carving out space for myself that I can live in comfortably. It's emails and cooking and cleaning and not saying I'm sorry when I don't need to. And it's waking up and choosing to believe myself and moving forward. A year ago, if I had competed and won the crown, I would have felt validated, but not for long and not because of one show. I am good. I am valid. I believe myself and I believe you. And I'm not giving anyone the power to give or take that away from me. No man, no audience, no crown, no distinguished panel of judges is going to either destroy me or save me. Only I can do that. Which is so much scarier because it's something I have to do every day. But I will do it. Every day. Which is to say it doesn't matter if I win Miss Pageant Pageant. I'm here, no longer small enough to fit in the corner of someone else's life, but filling this space and growing. And I am up on stage in a, in a room full of hundreds of people who see me as beautiful and exactly how I want them to see me, speaking honestly from my soul. I am here, and that is more than enough for me. But like, if you want me to win, I'll take the crown. So I didn't win, as is obvious to people in the community, but this speech, I think, really impacted a lot of people and impacts me to this day. So I thought I would go ahead and share it again. But thanks. Thank you to Quinn LaRue for sharing her world with you. A special thanks to Jessa Fallon and Ryan Gollop for your help producing and editing the podcast. You can catch Greetings from Queer Mountain, the live queer storytelling show in New Orleans, Austin, New York City, and now in the Bay Area. Check out our Facebook page for more information. We want to thank you all so much. We've been doing this almost a year. December 28th will be a full year for us. And we've been trying to bring you all sorts of variety of performers and experiences and just putting it out there for y'all. And I really hope you're enjoying it. We love doing it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.